Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 260 of the Real Life Runners podcast. In this episode, we tackle a thought that might unconsciously be driving some of your training, show you how to unwind and release it so that you can move forward in your running with joy, excitement, and purpose. The mistake that we see so many runners making is thinking that running is a form of punishment or misery that they just have to do for one reason or the other. This leads to always feeling not good enough in some way or feeling like they have something to prove, which can lead to a lack of motivation and satisfaction with running and also a lack of progress. Today, we will show you that running does not have to be punishment. And even if you don't realize it, you may have some unconscious thoughts that could be driving your actions. So if that sounds good to you, stay tuned. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So I'm very excited for this episode on the the punishment aspect of running. Yeah. Because we had a little, before we hit the record button, yeah. discussion on running as punishment. And you asked me, has running ever been punishment to you? Mm-hmm. Not that I can recall. Yeah. And it definitely has been for me. So those of you that are familiar with my story, I started out in competitive sports. And so running, I used to hate running. Running was always a form of punishment for me, right? So it was like, you miss a serve, you had to go run a lap. If you, if you missed a free throw in basketball, you had to run a suicide. Like it was literally called a suicide, right? Like, I mean, think about the mental, you know, unconscious message that comes along with that. Yeah. The first time that I encountered suicides, well, we did liners in basketball. They weren't called suicides. We called them liners. Mm-hmm. They were annoying, but that, sui- doesn't, that doesn't sound as bad though. So the first encounter I had of, of a sporting thing, you say it came from competitive sports. I also did competitive sports. I still do. I run mm-hmm. to competitive sport. It- <laughs> <laughs> well, when I say I, I, well, see, then I would say team sports, but I know now cross country <laughs> is a team sport, Arguably team sport. Right. But like at the time I did not know that. Right. Yes. Because it, my mentality is like when I was playing volleyball, basketball and softball, which is what I was thinking about when talking about competitive team sports. sports, ball sports. Right. Um, you were, it requires more than one person on the field at the same time. Sure. In running, in my mind, it was just something that you could go out and do by yourself. And now I, I obviously I, I coach a high school cross country team with you um, and now understand the team aspect of that. But for a long time, I did not, I had no idea. I mean, we have a whole team ourselves besides yeah. our, our cross center team. We've got a whole real life runners. Team. Yes. Our real life it's, runners training team. It's an international team. Right. But it's fun. It's, yes, we are a team. We all support each other. We have coaches. We are the coaches I should say. Um, and Everybody does that, but everybody does go run and race separately, yes. individually. Yes, it is. It is always nice to see every once in a while when like two team members actually show up at the same race. And they're like, hey, we have matching shirts. Yeah, that's so fun. That's I, I love watching our team members connect around the world. It's so cool. So my first interaction with uh, with suicide in competitive sports was um, there was a hill at the two and a half mile mark of like the cross country course that we ran three times during the season mm-hmm. that was called suicide. Okay. That's just, that was the name of it. Suicide Hill. <laughs> it was brutal. That course was rough. It was like half mile downhill. And then you looped back and came a half mile back up to the starting point. Then you kind of wound around gradually downhill for the next half mile. And then you made all of that downhill back up in like 50 yards. Okay. And it was just straight up this day. It was like, it was a cliff that you had to run up. It was brutal. Mm-hmm. There was, there was a lot of people and you had to get in a good place because if you were behind people, it wasn't a wide enough thing that you could pass people. Yeah. And every once in a while you get somebody in front of you that was like, eh, they're going to walk up the thing, mm-hmm. like, get out of my way. And there just wasn't, wasn't room to be, move people out of the way. Uh-huh. It, was, it was rough. Okay. So that was my, my first impact of, of suicide, but you're right. Then yeah. just naming that Hill heartbreak Hill in Boston, mm-hmm. is that supposed to be enjoyable? It's literally called heartbreak. Right. So sometimes names matter. So I mean, all the time, (laughs) I think that so often names matter and we don't even realize it. And, um, I think that that is kind of what brings us to this episode is that my mentality growing up. And I think that this was a mentality of a lot of different people, um, was that running was punishment. And that came at least for me from those, that experience with like ball sports, um, and the way that my coaches had chosen to run our practices. Right. I mean, I don't know if all coaches use running as punishment, but mine certainly did. (laughs) So, but here's the thing. Did they tell you it was punishment? Well, it's not like they said, this is punishment. Right. Right. I mean, but when in my head, I miss a serve and I watch my 
coach over on the bench with her notebook and put a tick mark in her thing. Right. Yep. And then the next day at practice, she said, okay, well the team missed five serves. So we have five laps of the track to do. So it was, it's the, it's the association Sure, is that you missed the serve. Therefore you have to run and you have to run this lap. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could have chosen to reframe my thought as a 15 year old kid <laughs> into like, not. Oh, this is so great. Now I'm going to get in better shape. <laughs> no. So we was no. we missed free throws in basketball and we would have to do liners. Yeah. But if you had to do liners, then you didn't have to do different aspects of basketball practice. And when you're in like fifth grade and your dad's coaching and he's trying to set up like a one, three, one defense and run through the nuance of that, yeah. you're just like, can we just do liners and just run for a little while? Cause that seems like a whole heck of a lot more fun than this. Yeah. And that is why you <laughs> grew up with that mentality. And I would much rather shoot free throws Fair because enough. I also, you know, especially like in volleyball, um, I never understood how the running helped me, right? <laughs> like other than getting in better shape, yeah. right? Like it's a global benefit, global but... benefit. But even so, like with that coach, you know, she always would make us run like a mile or on Saturdays, we had to run a full two miles yep. before practice. I mean, give me a break. I hated those ones, but it was one of those things. And I was like, I don't run in volleyball. How is this helping me? Like, shouldn't I just be out practicing more volleyball? The same thing with serves. Like if I miss a serve, is it better for me to go out and run a lap around the track? Or is it better for me to do 20 more serves? It's a very good point. Right? Like, and so that's why I associate it with punishment. Right. Right. It's because like, I did not see the direct correlation of how me running laps of the track could improve my serve, but yet me missing a serve is what caused me to have to do this. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you see the correlation now? I mean, yes and no. I don't see the correlation. I I I saw your volleyball coach today on my run. I waved at her, but I did not actually see the correlation. And I do love her. Don't get me wrong. I I do love my, my old volleyball coach, but I, I understand the correlation now, like of why she made us do conditioning. Yes. Okay. So like the running before practice. And then we did like some strength and conditioning drills before practice, which I also hated go figure. Now I love working out, you know, but like, you know, do you ever think back, but probably not. Cause you were like, um, you and I had different mentalities in high school, but I <laughs> slightly different mentalities. Sometimes I look back now and I'm like, gosh, I wish I liked working out then as much as I like it now, because I would have been such a better athlete. Like, and I was already a good athlete, but like, what could I have done if I had enjoyed it to the level that I do now? Yeah. So I wish that sometimes you just, you follow the captains on your team. When I was a freshman, you look up the, the senior captain was Mm -hmm. a sub four ten miler. He was phenomenal. The guy after that was, wow. Yeah, he was great. And then the junior that became a senior was like a 155, 154 half miler. Like both of them headed off to UCLA to run like great athletes. But every time we'd go to the weight room, Mm. the two of them were sort of like, yeah, I guess now we do coaches like circuit that we do. And they didn't really ever put a whole lot of effort. Like they they never made it suggest that it was an important thing. They did it, Mm -hmm. but they kind of like joked around through it as suggesting that it wasn't that important. Whereas it it was in fact really important. It just wasn't that enjoyable for them, but they still put the effort in. It it was a trickle down mentality. Right. So you put the effort in, but mentally, because at the time I had running and strength training Mm -hmm. and the best runners on the team put down strength training. So in my head, yeah, okay, we do strength training, but as we do it, we put it down. Mm -hmm. Then it's, it's really kind of difficult to gain the motivation to go out and do it because you're telling yourself, eh, this is the annoying part of Mm -hmm. running. Whereas you were like, well, the conditioning is the annoying part of prepping for all the volleyball. Right. Like I would rather just play volleyball. Yes. Like, cause I loved peppering, like, which was like, you know, the, how we warmed up. Like God, it's the worst. Oh, what? Uh, We used to have to do that. The coach would be like, we're going to do volleyball now. I'm like, oh no, it's pepper. Oh my gosh. It's the best. I had so much fun (laughs) with that. But see, that's the thing is like, I, I mean, I put the effort forth, right. Because I wanted especially as like a freshman and a sophomore, I wanted to prove myself. You know, I wanted to earn that varsity spot. I wanted to be on that team. I wanted to get that playing time. Right. Um, And so I I definitely put the effort in. I just, I I know, especially like junior and senior year when I had already earned my spot. Yes. Then I, it definitely wasn't as much as I probably Right. Then the effort probably didn't need to be there because you had your spot Which is sad, which is really sad. And I, and I wish I could like go back and like smack myself up the head, (laughs) suck the head there. But like, you know, um, anyway, getting back to kind of our topic here at hand with running and being punishment, I do think that 
you know, it is one of those things that so many runners actually do think of it as punishment and Mm -hmm. they might not even realize it. Yes. And that's really what I want to dig into today. So like you guys heard me in the intro talking about like whether or not this is conscious or unconscious, it can affect how you show up in your training. Right. And so many of us think of running this way, whether we know it or not. And so the mistake that, you know, that kind of leads to what we see a lot of people doing is that they think that running needs to be hard, right? So not just that it is like a way to punish yourself, like there, we're going to get into that in a little bit here, but it's also like this idea of like, it needs to be hard to be effective. Yes. Yeah. Like if, if you're not a fast runner, then the way to get faster is to push really, really hard. It's kind of tied in with this idea, um, which then ultimately just makes running much more harder every day than it needs to be. Like there, there should be difficult aspects of running. Like it's not the easiest thing to do if you're going to continue to improve over time, Mm -hmm. but there are also times that running shouldn't be that difficult. And that's an, again, a a difference between distance running, like quality endurance training and some of these other sports, there's other sports where most practices because of the duration of the variety of exercises you can do, you can have some intensity on Mm -hmm. basically every single day of practice. Yeah. Because most of it is isn't as intense, yes. right? But with running, especially endurance running, like if you're making it harder than it needs to be and going out and pushing hard all the time, a lot of times what can happen is like we talked about last week, right? We can, we can go back to like the L2 running and how it's important to like take easy days and that kind of thing. But when, if you're the kind of person that is like kind of just going out there and trying to push hard, it leads to this feeling of always like not being good enough, right? Like you can never do enough. And that's really what can lead people into that burnout, the fatigue, the injury, really, because it's just kind of never enough. Like it, it's, it's punishment and it's you pushing harder than you really need to. Right. Because, because you've, you've already dictated that you're not enough. Yeah. Like that's kind of an underlying thing. That's well, the and, unconscious and nobody says part. that. No right. one wants to be like, I'm not enough. So right. I have to push to like an L eight today on my run. Like well, that statement has actually never been uttered right. ever and, and, until right now. Until right now. Congratulations. <laughs> I nailed it. You nailed but it. But that thought is in fact in the back of several people's minds. Well, I think. Here, here's the thing that I think is, I don't think that consciously we think as runners, I'm not good enough. Sometimes we do. And I think, and we're going to get into some of those situations later in the episode. Sometimes mid race, I've definitely had that thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think that a lot of runners, you know, kind of with what we're talking about right now, it's that feeling of never doing enough. Yeah. Right. Like it's never enough. I'm not, I'm not running enough. I'm not running fast enough. It's, it's my running isn't enough. Like I'm not doing enough. Right. And I think that that's really kind of what, what we, you and I were talking about a little bit earlier with my experience in sports and how running was used as punishment. And I want to talk a little bit about your perspective here too, right? Because <laughs> sure. I see, I always did, I don't need more, but I always saw running as a form of punishment for reasons that I already talked about, but it's so interesting to me. Like when you and I were talking before we started recording, I asked Kevin, I said, you know, has running ever been a form of punishment for you? And you're like, yeah, no, I always like, that was always the part of practice that I look forward to. And I was like, okay, well was like any, did you ever have any sort of like negative connotations around running? And so like, I want you to kind of tell your perspective because while I was kind of looking at running as punishment, you were seeing running as the opposite, as like a reward. Right. Like if, like I said, we had to run for missed free throws. Yeah. So if we're in a game and a free throw got missed, I'm like, all right, well, that's, that's a chunk of practice that we're not doing in this other thing. And (laughs) You know, that might've been a good signal that like, you know, basketball wasn't for you or football wasn't for you. It got different as I got to like <laughs> seventh and eighth grade in seventh, eighth grade. I was very competitive. Yeah. I liked doing, I liked is an interesting word, but I kind of enjoyed the liners because I liked trying to beat the other kids at practice. So then it was like mm. a racing thing. Then you're literally running races that I wasn't on a track team until I hit high school. So yeah. that was my chance to compete in like a running aspect. Um, but by the time I hit seventh, eighth grade, it was annoying that people would miss free throws because then I really was into the other aspects of it. So then I'm looking at like other aspects of practice. Cause this is what you, you asked. You're like, was there things of sports, parts of the practice? You didn't like the running and the conditioning yeah. parts of it. Were there parts of practices that I didn't like? And the best thing that I could come up with was 
when I played football, flag football, for those of you who've seen a picture of me, um, I did not ever play football where they put pads on me. That sounds very painful. Um, but flag football, we still had to practice blocking everybody. So we had linemen. It made sense that they had to practice blocking, yeah. but I was a wide receiver and it was flag football. So it's not like I was even really allowed to legally block on most running plays because I was downfield. That's not blocking, that's holding. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't like <laughs> this, but we had to spend a chunk of time where everybody was literally blocking. It drove me nuts every single practice because blocking without any pads is literally just two scrawny grade school kids just punching each other in the shoulders. <laughs> Like, that was awful. And that's what it was to me because I, as you pointed out with, with your volleyball, you didn't see the connection to yeah. it. And I think that's a huge aspect of this also is mm -hmm. seeing what you're going to get a benefit of, which relates very much to the never enough. Yeah. If you're setting up a running plan, you could always add another mile, right? You could always add another rep of I'm doing quarter repeats. I'm doing eight. Mm, maybe I could do nine mm -hmm. would 10 be better. There's a point where more isn't better, right? but it always seems like it could be. Yeah. I mean, this is like you as a teacher with like assigning homework too. Oh, and God, this is the so same thing, you know, when I see my kids come home with homework and I've literally seen research studies that show yep. there is no benefit of homework before high school, right? Like, or is it before like seventh or eighth grade? Yeah. Somewhere around like, somewhere in like the middle school years, but like elementary school, there's literally no benefit. Right. And so I struggle sometimes with like, okay, like we need to do in a, in a way what we're told, right. Yep. With what the teacher assigns, but also why, <laughs> you know, like also the teacher assigned what the it. heck is the point. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's hard for me sometimes as a parent, and this is kind of a little off tangent, but helping my children understand that like, sometimes we should follow the rules and other times we need to question the rules. Questioning and, the rules. Well, I mean, I'm going to rephrase that even again. Like, I think that we should question the rules always. But then there That's are some very, very true. I think you I think always... we should always question the rules, but then we have to then decide sometimes to follow those rules, even if we may not agree a hundred percent. Like the speed limit on certain streets. Mm -hmm. Like I don't agree that the speed limit is 30 on this particular street. It's got like a solid median with mm -hmm. trees. It's three lanes. Why is it 30? There's yeah. no reason. It's not through like a tight residential neighborhood. The speed limit needs to be changed, mm -hmm. but there's always a cop that sits there. That doesn't mean I can drive <laughs> 50 down the road right. because there could be a cop behind that tree yeah. in the median. So you still have to follow the, the rule on that one, even if it doesn't quite make logical sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that like, you know, it is interesting that it, it is a good idea for us to question this. And so I want you guys to just kind of think, have you ever in the past thought of running as punishment like me, right? Like, has that ever been a part of your past? And if so, is that somehow unconsciously seeping into your running today, right? Like, do you feel like in some ways running is still like a form of punishment? Like I saw a post the other day on Instagram and actually like even added it to my stories that said something about how like this was good one. running is like, it's something about like, I forget the exact phrasing of it, but it was about like how, um, that, that 30 minutes of misery makes the rest of my day better. Yes. Right. So it was like basically saying running was miserable, but they were glad that they did it because they felt better afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are people out there that really truly believe that. And like the person that posted it actually sent me a message because he or she didn't like that. I like posted it and said, look, running doesn't have to be miserable all the time. Right. Because that's truly what I believe. There are some people out there that believe that running just sucks and that running doesn't feel good, but they like the benefits of it afterwards. And that's fine. If, if you would like to believe that that's, that's up to you, but I'd like to offer another perspective. Like I'd like to offer the perspective that running doesn't have to be punishment. It doesn't have to be miserable. It can be enjoyable if you just start to look at it a little bit differently. Yeah. I think the, the point of that one, not just the misery of those 30 minutes of misery then makes the rest of my day better. Yeah. Also relies on the premise of running is my therapy, mm. which is also a dangerous path to head down. Not what we're heading on today, but no. I feel like that mentality is also somewhere in there. So yeah. yes, running as punishment if you have that in the back of your mind somewhere, if you got into running with sort of some negative connotations to it, it may still be hindering you. There may be mm -hmm. some aspects of running that you feel like you need to push harder
order to live mm-hmm. up to these expectations Ooh. that came from nowhere live that up to, yeah. literally just put on yourself because running and, and accomplishing these things, which as we pointed out, you could always add more to the list. Mm-hmm. You could always add another mile, another minute or two onto your run. You're not necessarily going to get any benefit from them. Mm-hmm. I, as, as you pointed out with homework, I only think that you should do enough that you're actually reaping benefits. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that everybody out here should be doing like a 30 minute run or a 45. Yeah. It depends on what benefits you're trying to reap. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're getting enough out of your running physically to reap the, the running goals that you have, then there's no reason to add more. You are in fact doing enough. Right. Because then you're maximizing the reward and minimizing your risk of injury and other negative things. Of course. Yeah. All right. So now you might kind of have an idea of how this idea of like running as punishment might be affecting you either consciously or subconsciously. The next thing we really want to talk about is an area that's probably more conscious than subconscious (laughs) for most people. Um, It's probably still a combination of both. Okay. But the second way that a lot of times people use running as punishment is for something that they ate. Okay. So what we want you to do is start to understand that running is not punishment for something that you ate or that it shouldn't be punishment for something that you ate. And the mistake that we see a lot of people making here is, is thinking that they need to run so that they can burn off calories thinking that, Oh, well, I just, I had, you know, that piece of birthday cake. So now I have to run three miles in order to burn that off. And you like literally see this all over the internet of like, I've seen it so many times of like, you know, a piece of cake means running for 30 minutes, a, um, you know, chicken nuggets running for 40 minutes. A thing of French fries is running for an hour. Like there's people that will make these graphics out there that say, based on this thing that you ate, here's how long you have to run in order to quote unquote, burn that off half a banana. Yeah. Three minutes of running. Yeah. I mean, it's probably more than that, but the problem here is that like, how how far you're going. It's about a half mile, half banana, half mile. Is that true? I think it's about right. I would have to look up the numbers, but here's the thing. If you are someone that thinks that you need to burn off your calories, a lot of times what ends up happening is that people end up pushing harder in order to burn more calories, which leads to people never actually running easy enough. And so if you're the kind of person that in the past you've struggled with your weight, or you've been on diets before, or you've tracked calories, you might be falling into this trap, right? Because if even like calorie trackers, like there's so many apps out there that have you track your calories and you start to get very conscious of, okay, this food is worth this calorie. And then you go in and you put in your exercise as well, mm-hmm. right? You ran for 30 you have a minutes plus column and a minus column. Yeah. And the whole goal of these apps is to balance out, to hit zero, right? Like yep. you want to be burning as much as you consume. That's the goal. Or if you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to burn more than you actually consume. You're trying to be in a calorie deficit, right? Yes. And so that leads people to this mentality of, I need to push harder so that I burn more calories. And the faster I run, the more calories I burn, or the longer I run, the more calories I burn. And so when you have that mentality, you're never actually running easy enough or short enough, right? Maybe you're extending your runs longer so that you can burn more calories because anytime like you you framed this at the beginning of running as punishment for something that you ate but anytime you start trying to just equate your food intake and your running output as though these things should somehow balance like there are times Mm -hmm. where it's important to keep in mind like your food intake and your running. Mm -hmm. Like if you're running for hour upon hour. Yeah. Then like when you were doing your ultra. Then fuel intake, if you're right. training for a marathon and you're out there for over an hour, two hours, mm-hmm. then you should be paying attention to the fuel that you're putting into your body. Right. And then after you finish, you should keep eating things. Like these are important things, but 
I don't have strict guidelines on that. There are some recommendations on that, but overall, it, I feel like the more detail you put to it of, all right, I ran this many miles at this pace and this intensity. So now I can justify eating mm-hmm. this much stuff, right. or now I'm able to eat this as though some permission. Yes. Yes. It's a permission. Yeah. I've unlocked the reward of dessert for dinner yeah. because I, I was good. And I did, I did my workout earlier today. Yeah. You want dessert for dinner, go ahead and eat dessert for dinner because mm-hmm. that sounds, that sounds like a great idea. Right. I, I went with dessert oh, for man. dinner. I did not say dessert after I said dessert for dinner. I forgot we had brownies in the fridge right oh, now. Yeah, yeah, we did. Dang. But that's true though. Like, yes, running, some people look at running as punishment for something they ate or the opposite yep. of now I have permission to eat this thing. Yes. Yeah. Either way is a really bad mindset. There, it's, not well, a, it's not a good We don't want to call it a bad mindset. Sure. Let's not put judgment on it. Okay. But it can be a slippery slope. Yes. I'll go with that. It's right? a slippery slope. So, Whereas the only slippery slopes that I think we should be enjoying is hot fudge sliding down the side <laughs> of your ice cream. That sounds better. That sounds better. <laughs> it is so funny when you actually watch that and just like the hot fudge just kind of like falls off your ice cream. It's amazing. <laughs> so, but I think, okay. So you guys can understand probably then how, if you have this mentality, even whether it's conscious or unconscious, how that can lead to pushing harder and not going easy enough. And that is problematic. And we really addressed this in more detail last week. So if you haven't caught um, ex- or episode number 259 yet, go back and listen to episode 259. We really talk about easy running specifically and why it's so important and what it does. And it's not just episode 259. We've got plenty of episodes in um, our catalog and our history talking about the importance of easy running. So you could just go onto our podcast page and do a search for easy running if you want to, um, so that you could learn more about it. Just, just no mitochondrial density. <laughs> you just wanted to say it. Yeah, again. I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. All right. But so I'm not going to get into that today. All right. Like, yes, it's true that people with this mentality often don't run easy enough or don't like taking easy days because they don't find them as productive. They don't burn as many calories. God forbid an off day because then you can't justify any food. Well, that's, uh, that's the other thing people do. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because they don't like on rest days, they think that they have to decrease their calorie intake, which is actually not true at all. You should probably be eating at least the same amount, if not sometimes more, because during your rest days, your body is actually rebuilding and recovering. Especially if you take an off day, the day after a really long run, you take an off day, the day after a really hard workout. Yeah. You got to refuel. You got to make sure you're getting enough fuel from that day, not from what you're doing on the day of, but Mm -hmm. from the day before that you probably aren't even fully refueled from. Yeah. You go off on a 20 miler, you're probably not refueling on the day. Mm -hmm. You need the next day also to continue building back your, your deficit. Especially if you're a runner that doesn't have much of an appetite after your runs, you know, like there are some runners that come back from longer runs and they don't like to eat right away. And yep. they kind of find that their appetite is actually suppressed in the uh, the few hours um, after a longer it's run. A heat issue. Get yourself cooled, get yourself cooled down yep. as much, and you'll probably be able to get find some appetite better. Ooh, that's a nice little unexpected nugget right there. That's a good one. So instead of looking into this as a reason to not push hard or run easy or anything like that, I instead want to look at this a little differently. This is good. And I, <laughs> you're like, I know it's coming. I know it's a good one too. <laughs> Um, I want to look at this as what if we reframe running in general and ask ourselves, what if running is not the best way to burn calories? I'm just going to let you guys sit on that for a second. What if running is not the best way to burn calories? Maybe you've been telling yourself that it is right. And that would lead to this mentality, but what if it's not, what if running is also not the best way to get in shape. What if we just took those things totally off the table? And right now I'm not saying that it is, or it isn't right. That's not, I'm going to let you guys just think on that. But what if, if you are the kind of person that thinks running is the best way for me to get in shape. Like I had a friend that told me this, like, oh, I have to run because it's the best way for me to control my weight. Right. Okay. And so that was like how she, the purpose of running in her brain. Yeah. Right? So then running and food really were, they went hand in hand, totally intertwined. Mm-hmm. Right. But what if we just separated them and just said, what if running is not related to the food that I eat? 
yeah. outside of it, like refueling. Cause yeah. like, you know, we, we made some good points there. Right. Sure. But your overall diet yeah. is simply your diet. Mm-hmm. And by your diet, we mean the food that I mean, you the food eat, that you take not, in, not, not a restrictive, yes, diet. not restrictive. I mean, by diet, I literally mean the food you put in your body. Yep. That's just in the category of this is the food I put into my body. Yep. And then running is a thing that I do over like They're two completely separate strands yeah. of my existence. Yeah. I run over here. I eat over here. Mm-hmm. The, those strands are not interwoven. Yeah. Like what if we just completely separate them and then ask yourself, okay, Now, assuming that we can separate these two things, right? Running has no bearing on what I eat. Mm -hmm. It's not a reason for me to eat or not eat. What are the other reasons that you run? Right? And just actually take time to think about that. If it's not related to me getting in better shape, and if it's not related to me burning more calories, what are the other reasons that you run? So, some of the reasons that I thought of that I would love to offer. And, you know, please feel free to adopt some of these if you like them or come up with your own or both. Right. So for me, running is a way that helps me feel strong. It's a way that I can challenge myself. It's a way that I can set a goal and achieve it. So it helps Mm -hmm. me feel that sense of accomplishment. Right. Um, But I also came up with an idea of, it also helps me to set a goal and not achieve it, which is an interesting thing to think about, right? Because then if I set a goal, not that that's like my goal is to not achieve my goal, right? That (laughs) seems ridiculous. My goal is to not get my goal. Right. That seems silly. But I know that in this journey of running, like we've always talked about, running is not a linear progression and Mm -hmm. we don't always achieve our goals, especially if we're setting big goals. So if we set a big goal and we don't achieve it, then that forces me to adjust and try again, which helps me to build my resilience muscle, right? Mm-hmm. It really helps me to start to improve my level of resilience, which I think is a fantastic thing. And then, um, go ahead. I should say it also keeps us in, in a job because if running was, <laughs> was just a perfectly linear thing and there was a great formula for it, we'd be like, here's the formula. And then we'd never see or hear from any of you guys again. It'd be like one episode of the podcast. <laughs> here's the formula, plug in your numbers and off you go. I know, but so many people wish that it was like that, but like, what would Not be the when fun? you think about it. Yeah. Yep. What, what would really be the fun in that if you, if, all you of the fun. if you really think about it, right? And I think that's another thing that running brings for me is like to enjoy myself and to really see what my body's capable of, right? Like to see what are, like, what am I actually capable of? What can I do? Yeah. And running is one of those things that also, now that I'm thinking about it, keeps me very humble. <laughs> Sometimes I think like, yeah. you know, I can excel in, you know, in different areas of my life, but running was one of those things that will always kind of keep you in check. Like you have one run that feels fantastic and you feel on top of the world. And then, you know, the next day or two days later, you have like a crappy run and you don't feel good at all. (laughs) I mean, you can humble yourself within running. And then there are days where you're out running and someone just goes flying past you. And you're like, man, I, I was feeling good today, but okay. Or the things that you accomplish in your running life and you try and share them with non-running friends mm-hmm. and you just watch their eyes glaze over <laughs> because they don't care. Yeah. And it helps you remember that, oh yeah, it's just running. Mm-hmm. Like there's that aspect to it also. But I mean, I love yeah. your list. Your list has a lot of really quality things on there. Um, the building resilience and accomplishing goals. Like this is the benefit of having goal is you get that feeling of accomplishment when you do hit it and you build resilience when you don't that resilience part. I like to add in. That's part of where, um, I get what I would call like my artistic output of, okay, this plan didn't work. You know, running isn't linear. There's not like this automatic magic formula that you can put things into there is like, there is clear data that you can do different workouts and they get different benefits to your body, but the way that it benefits one person and the, the amount of that benefit that each person needs, because there's, there's certain areas within training that it's clearly like, if you optimize these three areas, Mm -hmm. you're going to improve, but which one do you focus on the most? Mm -hmm. And from one person, the next, because of the way they're made up, it's not always like, Oh, well just put a third of your time here and a third of your time there. Like Angie and I wouldn't train the same way for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, that really, that sums it up. 
that's part of the, the creativity aspect of figuring out how mm. training best works for you, which requires a heck of a lot of resilience. Cause yeah. you're like, this plan makes perfect logical sense. Mm. It seems like it works for me. I go through, I spend months knocking out the plan and then I show up at the race and we see what happens. Mm. And, oh, I ran the same time as last time. That's, that's a sign one. You've done great. You did the stuff. You're still in great shape, but that plan might not have helped move you forward, even though it had some some good qualities to it. Mm -hmm. Now you have to go through and recheck and say, Hey, what do I need to adjust that I can keep going without just getting frustrated of, I tried so hard and I didn't progress. Mm -hmm. I'm giving up on it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, how can we show up in moments like that? Yeah. Right. Like running really helps us see that. Like, how do I show up when I'm frustrated? How do I show up when I'm not hitting those times or hitting those workouts or every run is feeling terrible right now? Cause we all go through those periods. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, how long you've been running, what distance you're running, what pace you're running. We all have days on the struggle bus. Yep. We all have them. Right. And I think that's one thing that is so powerful when you realize it, because a lot of times we tend to compare ourselves to other people. We compare our distance, we compare our time, we compare our pace, all these things, right? Because running is one of those things that is very number-based. There's a lot of numbers in running, right? And it's a lot of ways that we can just automatically compare ourselves because that's what our brain likes to do. But what I love helping people see is that no matter what those paces are, we all have those same internal struggles. We all have the the brain telling us to stop or the brain telling us that we're not good enough or we're not fast enough or all of these things, or that we need to earn our food, mm -hmm. right? That is a very toxic thought that is not going to lead to good things in any arena, right? The fact that you have to earn your food, like that does not show a good relationship with food, a good relationship with your body, a good relationship with running, right? Because running is then just a way to fix quote unquote, what you just did, right. Yeah. Which assumes that something bad just happened, which eating a piece of cake shouldn't be bad or a brownie. <laughs> you know, those are some delicious brownies we have in our fridge right now. Yeah. Our daughter's awesome. with those. She is. But like, I think that this is one of the important things about kind of starting to look at running a little bit differently and start to reframe it in a way that might be more helpful because when we can start looking at things differently and start to disassociate different things and say, okay, well, this is something that I used to believe true, but now you're asking me to kind of look at this totally differently and believe something else. How can I do that? Right? Because a lot of times our brain latches onto these beliefs and these thoughts that we think over and over. So there are some people that say that a belief is a thought that you think over and over again, mm -hmm. right? That you just continue to think. Sure. I also have heard someone say, a belief is a thought that you no longer have to think. Yes. Right. It's something that you I just, like that one. I love that one. Like, because I think it's so true. Like, yes, we all have these thoughts, but once they do become beliefs, we no longer question them. We no longer think about them. Right. And so has running and its relationship to burning calories, has that become a belief for you that you like, haven't even looked at, haven't even questioned. And like, when I like to think about this idea of like questioning previously held beliefs, I very, you know, obviously there's a, a direct correlation here with what we're talking about. Yeah. I think about diet culture and how diet culture just is a pendulum that swings back and forth, right? Like in the nineties, we were told that we need to be low fat, high carb. That was the diet of the of the decade. Yep. Right. And now we're swinging over into the, the low carb. We're doing high fat, low carb with keto and those kinds of things. Right. right but before we had the, the nineties low or uh, high carb and a lot of like, get rid of all the fat, yeah. which then led to a lot of processed stuff before so that was, was the first round of Atkins. Yeah. Which was which a, was keto, which was a high fat diet. Right. No, no, no. It was it wasn't keto. They would pronounce that Atkins. No, they just re rephrased. It <laughs> I know that the rule the rule book is the same. It's just it's pronounced differently. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. Like we, there was the Atkins diet, then there was this low fat diet. Now we're back to keto. Like, and so if you guys actually just look at these different diet cultures like that's what happens. And so all of a sudden in the nineties, those of you that grew up in the nineties, like we did not to age ourselves in any way, but that's when, when it started to shift into this more high fat mentality, 
I know for me, my brain was like freaking out. <laughs> you know, my brain was like, wait a second. No, 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 no. Fat is bad. Fat makes you fat. That's what I was told for so many years. Fat makes you fat. Right? Like it's even the same freaking word. Sounds super logical. Right? But like now when you, when you watch the research study and you do all these things and you're seeing the benefits of healthy fats and all these things, not that I'm advocating any type of diet here whatsoever, but you can start to see how you do have to rethink different things, right? And I'm actually reading an amazing book right now that I would um, definitely recommend to people. It's Adam Grant's new book called Think Again. And it's about how resistant we are as humans to thinking, to rethinking things, right? Once we've decided, once we have that belief ingrained in us, we don't like rethinking things. We don't like doing that. And so it's very interesting. This book is fantastic. Yeah, you almost need to be put in a place where you can you're either forced into the opposite opinion where you just sort of deal with it, which I'll give you an example of in a second, or you have to so gradually be put into it that you can accept it without having to be like, um, confront against it. If you're, if you fully believe something, you're presented with the opposite side information, you're going to naturally battle back against right. it. Right. People automatically get defensive. Right. So mm-hmm. if you can be open to that and see it without having, without having to do it, yeah. just see the other side and read some information about the other side. Like if you were of the belief that fat was bad mm-hmm. and now suddenly people are pushing a diet that fat is good. If you're not forced into a diet where you have to now eat fat, but you're just like, huh, people are eating this and people seem to be living healthy lifestyles and you just start looking into it mm-hmm. without having to put yourself in there. That's another way to do it. Well, but- hold on uh, before you continue. I, I want to point out one of the things that Adam talks about in the book, which okay. is like, I know you haven't read the book yet. I, I keep telling Kevin, I'm like, you're going to love this book. Like when I'm done with it, Yeah, everybody should follow on Instagram also. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he's a, a great follow. He's a great follow on Instagram for sure. That's at Adam Grant. But anyway, he talks about that exact thing. He talks about when you have like a black and white option and and you're given a very like this or that type of option and you identify strongly with one side, Uh how extremely resistant people are to rethinking their belief. But when you, and when the issue is presented that way, like it's very black and white, right? So they had people read like an article that was very black or white. And then they also had people read an article that was very nuanced, Uh right? And so when you can start to show people more nuance and more of that gray area, people are much more willing to actually start to rethink their own belief and be like, oh, okay, wait, like it doesn't have to be me or them like this or that there could be a middle ground there could be a middle ground and when there's so much nuance in between and you can start to show people that they're much more willing to start thinking about things differently that's a very good point but it's very difficult to sell a diet book based on nuance it's much easier to sell a diet book that says fat is evil or fat is the key to your healthy success i know because a lot of people don't want the you know if you do moderate (laughs) exercise and eat a balanced diet and get enough sleep and drink enough water, you're going to be healthy. That's the the fact that that's sort of the platform that we live off of is why we don't have a million downloads every week. We need, we need to be more polarizing. (laughs) It's true. Like you, I I said the word diet and you clarified that you, we were talking about the food that we consume, not, not favoring any one particular diet over the other. No, I think we need to take big, bold stance. Big, bold statements. Let's just polarize ourselves like the rest of the world right now. Yes. And then then we'll put the opposite polarized thing on our social media and just confuse (laughs) the heck out of the audience. It'd be great. Um, So my other example was if you're forced to see another opinion and you have no other choice in this matter, you're literally forced to see the other side, which happened to me. So I, when I drive to work, always took the same path. Like there's no good direct path. I either essentially have to drive north and then east or east and then north. Like we're at west. 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 You usually went west and north or east and north. Those are the two options. If I went west and north or east and north, I'm going to end up at two very different locations. I'm talking about being on opposite corners of a square. You can either go up and over or you can go over and up. 
Okay. So that was my box. So I always went up then over. I thought that was the faster way. Sorry. I was thinking West, North, East. Yeah. It gets a little complicated that because way on your well, map. There's, well, there's yes. More technically I have to drive out of our neighborhood first. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll, we'll post a GPS picture of our house. It'll okay, be super yeah. safe. All right. You're right. So North and then East versus East and then North. I got you. Lord. <laughs> so Back in 2017, when I was having seizures and I didn't have the ability to drive, yeah. one of my coworkers started driving me to school. Well, I'm not going to direct her on how to get to school. She knows where my house is. She knows where school is. I was grateful that she was driving me. She went the other direction. Yeah. She headed over then up. And I'm as on the first few days, I'm like, this is definitely the slow way. And then, you know, we kept doing it oh, day so after day. It's <laughs> literally what I'm sitting there in the passenger seat thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure that I get to school faster than she does every, this might be why she arrives at school late on occasion. Cause she's going the wrong direction <laughs> as though there was a right and wrong direction. And, uh, and so now, uh, five years later, I have completely changed the direction and I now take that path to school mm -hmm. because I realized that the way the lights work, that that is in fact much more often a faster route, unless mm -hmm. there's like construction screwing something up. Right. But generally that is the faster route, but I never would have done it. I'd still be driving the same way. Mm -hmm. I'm on year 15, I think of, of teaching at that school. Yeah that's the path. That's how I drove to school. That's yeah. just what I did. So it would never make any sense for me to literally turn the other direction out of my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But when I was forced to, it opened my eyes to, wow, that method actually is faster and more effective. Mm -hmm. So sometimes so how does that connect? Sometimes being shown and very clearly without it, like going up against me, like that was the thing is I had no say in the matter. Mm -hmm. I was just appreciating the ride. So sometimes if someone presents conflicting information to you and you don't really, you don't resist it, you don't accept it. Like you just sort of sit in it for a little bit, then you can just sort of experience what that is like. So the idea that your running and your food don't have to equate to each other might be so off-putting that you just stopped listening for the last like 20 minutes of us talking here. But if you just sort of sit and have that thought rolling in the back of your head that my food and my running don't have to be on the same thread of life. And you just that, let that churn in the background for, you know, the next few months, maybe down the road, they'll actually separate their strands. And that can yeah. be really helpful. That would be very, very helpful. All right. So the, the next point, the last point that we really want to talk about here does kind of relate to this. Um, but essentially what we want to help unravel here is doing things because you don't like your current situation is not the most effective long-term solution to change. So for example, running because you don't like your body and you want to change it is not the best way for long-term effective change, right? And there's a lot of people out there that start running or are currently running because they don't like their body. They're not happy with their body and they want to change something about it, whether that means they want to lose weight or they want to get more muscle or whatever it is. And this leads to people feeling not good enough and relying on an external circumstance like running to change that, right? And so this is one of the things that we see so many people doing, and I'm 100% guilty of this in the past as well. This is why I started running. So I 100% understand this mentality. I started running because like I already told you guys before, I hated it. <laughs> I hated running, okay? The only reason that I actually voluntarily started running when I wasn't being forced to run by my coaches, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, was to lose weight because I went to college and I gained the freshman 20 pounds and I started running to try to lose weight and to try to get back in shape. And it was because I didn't like my body. It was because I was ashamed of my body. I didn't feel good in my own skin. And so I looked to running as something that would help me feel better in my skin. And there are so many times that we do this. we try to change something from this place of lack. And we rely on external circumstances to try to make us feel better about ourselves, right? So in running, for example, we would use a time on the clock or a distance that we're able to run or a number on a scale, right? And like we said before, yes, numbers are important in running. They are kind of a natural thing that we like to look to as runners, especially because a lot of us are competitive and we want to track improvement and all those things. Right. But they're not everything. 
So I think it's really important for us to ask ourselves, how many times in the past have you tried to improve something from a place of lack? And how often was that successful? Right. Because I think that a lot of times it can be successful in the beginning. It's usually successful temporarily, right? We start running, we get into a new habit, we start to like lose weight, we start to see changes, but it's usually a temporary fix. Right. Because those external validations, those numbers that are so easy to see in running, especially in the beginning. Yes. The numbers, whether they're getting smaller or or larger, depending on what thing it is that you're tracking. Yeah. Time or distance. Yeah. They tend to change fairly easily. At first, but then they stop changing as easily. Mm -hmm. They'll still change, but the difference between running like a 29 minute 5k and a 25, that's four minutes, but 25 to 21, well, it's also four minutes is not the same four minutes and 21 to 17 is not even close. Yeah. And I (laughs) I just had this conversation with one of our clients this week too. Like he's um, trying to improve his marathon time and he just dropped 10 minutes in the marathon. And like his next goal is he wants to drop another seven, you know? And I said, okay, fantastic. Big goals are great. We've talked about that. Fantastic. Love the big goals. Love the big goals. Right. But just also understand the closer you get to your goal, the time is probably going to start improving in smaller chunks. Maybe not, you know, maybe I'm totally wrong, especially because he's coming to us. I'm so excited about this kid, but like, he's coming to us, <laughs> having never done speed work before. Have you never really followed any sort of like structured training plan? So I think he's just going to do fantastic. But understanding that when we put our worth or our progress or our measure of validation on that external number or that circumstance, and then we kind of stop seeing that number decrease or increase again, very based on what you're trying to get to, then we start questioning things and all of a sudden we don't feel good enough anymore. Right. Like we felt good enough when it was working. Yes. But now we're not good enough. The the problem was that we were never good enough. Mm -hmm. We didn't suddenly decide we're good enough. We decided that the number on my watch tells me I'm good enough. So when the number on my watch stops telling me I'm good enough, then I'm no longer good enough. Right. And people do this like with their garments, with the VO two max, right? Like in their productive versus unproductive status, right? Like they're letting this external thing that has like an algorithm on your watch that's inaccurately measuring your heart rate on your wrist. Oh my word. I was listening. Determine whether or not they feel good about that run or not. That was, it was a joke that these guys made on the podcast. I was listening to today. The one guy goes, so, cause he runs a lab. Like yeah. he's one of the best, like, you know, physiologists measures. He's, he was on the Kipchoge team to help him go under two hours. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's a data guy and he's got all sorts of labs where they measure this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know, I've got people that come into the lab and they're like, you know, I've got a VO2 max of 70, so I'm not sure why I can't keep up with so-and-so on the run or so-and-so on the bike. And he goes, well, how did you figure out your VO2 max? And they'll explain that it came from like a watch or a thing on their bike. And he's like, oh, well, you can't keep up with them because that's not even close to your VO2 max. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It's completely inaccurate. But the, you know, that's the thing is like, Yes, we may have that temporary success. Like this is what you see when you look at like crash diets or extreme exercise plans. Mm -hmm. But the problem is these things are not sustainable because they are coming from this place of lack and from being not good enough, not feeling good enough and wanting these external circumstances to show us that we are good enough. (laughs) So what I'm trying to offer you guys here today, and this is a big ask for some of you. And for others of you that if you guys really listen to me right now, this can be something that can completely change your life. So instead of changing from a place of, I don't like my body, I'm not good enough, change from a place of, I love myself and I just want to grow, right? Because if you can change, if you can improve yourself, I don't even like using the word improve. And I've like, when I was like outlining this podcast, I was even trying to be very aware of the words that I'm using. It's not about being a better version of yourself. It's just being the next version of yourself. It's just mm-hmm. being a, it's just about growth, right? Personal growth. Growth is better, better growth than improvement. Is, I, think. I love the word growth, right? It's like one of my core values as a human, but like, if we can change, if we can grow from that place of love, that is a sustainable place for progress. That is the most effective long-term solution because Instead of saying, 
I don't like my body. It's not good enough the way it is right now. Guess what? If you feel that way, no time on the clock, no distance that you run and no weight uh, number on the scale is going to change that. I guarantee it because you're going to get to that next place. And that's still not going to be good enough because external circumstances cannot change the internal message in your brain. You can do that. Only you. It's whatever you're making that external circumstance mean. It's your thought about it that matters. So you can start to choose those thoughts now before you even get there. You can try, I shouldn't say try, you can improve your thoughts right now. And I will use improve in that, in that sentence, very consciously. I like you just took try, try away there. Thank you. Thank you, Yoda. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But like, in my opinion, we should always be trying to grow and improve, right? But not because you're not enough where you are right now. You can be amazing as you are right now and still want to grow. Yes. hundred percent. Right? And like one way that I love thinking about this is having a child. Okay. Okay. So would you ever look at your kid and tell them that they weren't good enough? No. I mean, there might be some parents out there that would, but most of us, especially if it's like a five-year-old, right? Like look at your little three-year-old. Yeah. Right. Playing blocks and, and, and trying to stack up the blocks and the blocks fall over. Would you yell at your kid and tell like, you're not good enough. You only got five blocks that time. Like it's I, ridiculous. I, the two of us used to joke about this back when we had like the little toddlers, not yeah. even in front of them because they would, they would take this in, but you know, two sleep deprived parents would used to make these jokes when the kid went down <laughs> for a nap, she kept trying to stack them and she got them three high. And the fourth one, and I'm watching it. I mean, she's putting it off to the side. I'm like, it's going to fall down every time you put it just stack it straight on top what the heck is wrong with you but obviously like like this was just the joke that the two right. of us are we having would never here. actually say that and like if that ever came out of your mouth i don't know if we would still be married but, there, <laughs> what but is the wrong humor- with you child but the, the best part was you can't even go over there and try and fix it because no. then she doesn't actually figure out how to do the thing herself, right. but you're watching her fail over and over and over again. You're well, just like, come on kid. And, and that's the beautiful <laughs> thing about children, right. you know, but like, if you think about your kid, right. Would you ever tell your kid that they were not good enough? And the answer, hopefully for most of you would be, of course not. Right. You can acknowledge that your child is perfect where they are right now. But you can also acknowledge that it's important for them to grow physically, mentally, emotionally, right? I mean, we have a a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old right now. I sure as heck hope. I love my children. They are amazing where they are right now. They're exactly where they need to be. But when my kid's 30, she better not still be acting like she's acting right now, (laughs) right? Like, I hope to goodness that she has grown physically, mentally, emotionally, in all the ways, right? Because Quite honestly, growth... she's still making those brownies that so we're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> because growth is important. Growth is one of those things that we should continually strive for as humans, right? So this is one of the things that I love to question. It's like, okay, so if we can all get on board with this premise, right, of, of our children are good enough and perfect exactly where they are, but yep. it's also important for them to grow physically, emotionally, mentally, right? On board then why do we assume as adults that we're just done growing? Because we win. <laughs> I made it to the end of the game. <laughs> no, but like instead, we use our current circumstances against ourselves, and for some reason decide that we're not good enough where we are. So because I'm not good enough, then I, that means I have to change, Yeah. right? That's the reason that I have to change. But what if instead we just recognize that we're just on a journey, And that we are exactly where we need to be right now, listening to the Real Life Runners podcast. And we also want to continue to grow and evolve to the next version of ourselves. Again, not the better version of ourselves, just the next version, Mm -hmm. right? The more evolved version, the more the growth version of ourselves. That's not really a good adjective to use there, but more evolved. It's the more evolved version. You're you're continuing to improve. You're continuing to get forward just because you don't succeed at something in the, the stacking blocks is a great example of this thing, because 
in the long term, is it important whether we've all gained the ability to stack blocks? Like that's not a test that we have to do now mm -hmm. that we're adults. Like, oh, now we're all going to stack blocks. I think my highest I ever got to was like 19 or 20. I know the two of us used to stack blocks. We also, would totally compete. Like, compete against each other. <laughs> How high can we get them? She's over there trying to get number four and Angie and I are over here like, I've got 36 stacked up here. You're like, you're holding the top of it. So like, ah, fine. Um, but <laughs> outside of, you know, sleep deprived parenting of, of small toddlers, like that's not a skill that, that you have to have as, as you grow up. And yet it's still something just for like the, you know, agility of a small child that it's a beneficial thing that they do. But just because she didn't succeed at first time doesn't mean that she was a bad kid. It doesn't mean that she was an unsuccessful kid. It doesn't mean that she was a failure. Mm -hmm. And somehow we hit this point somewhere in our life that we attempt a thing. Yeah. We don't do well at it. And instead of then striving to improve at it, we're like, well, I'm a failure. At that. Yeah. I guess, that, I, I guess that's not for me. <laughs> yes. Right. Or deciding that we're not good enough and then trying to change from that. Yes. Like, I think that like, and to go back, that is really the point here. The point is not, you know, that we just decide that we're, we're good here. Mm -hmm. and, and there are some people that do, right. There are some people that, that decide they, they try something, they try something once or twice or a couple of times and they're not making progress. And they're like, Oh, I guess that thing is just not for me. There's mm -hmm. a lot of people that write off running that way. I'm guessing those are not the people listening to this podcast, but maybe it, Maybe it was you in the past, right? Maybe you were at that place at some point in time. And like, maybe we have somebody listening who's on that verge right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're telling you that like, you don't have to go there, right? Like I had someone just DM me, um, today or the other day on Instagram about, um, how she's really like, she used to run and she's, she got ended up with like a long bout of really, um, bad COVID mm -hmm. and how it's just really knocked her out. Right. And how, we're, it's so natural for us to try to compare ourselves to that previous version of ourselves, right? But what's the point of that? Especially if you're using it to beat yourself up. Yeah, you're not the previous version. You're the current version. You're the current version that's now gone through all of that. Yep, grow right? from like, here. You can't just erase that, yeah. right? You need to take all of that from where you are right now and use that as a way to, okay, this is where I am. And where I am right now is perfect. Where I am right now is exactly where I need to be. And I know that for sure, because this is where I am. Like you're not supposed to be anywhere else. And I think this is a, another thought that I'm just going to throw in here. This is a big jump, but this go for it. This is a really big jump, but it's true. In my opinion, in my opinion, this is a truth because a lot of times we like to think that, oh, I'm supposed to be further along right now. I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be that. But if you were actually supposed to be something else than you are currently, you would be that thing, right? Because if you're supposed to be, then you would be. But the truth is you're where you are right now, wherever that is. And so that is where you're supposed to be. This is exactly where you're meant to be right now. So we can take that spot and then use it as our starting point or as just, you know, a checkpoint along our journey, because most of us aren't starting from ground zero, but okay, this is where we are now. Now, how do we grow from here? And how do we do that from a place of love, from a place of recognizing I am wonderful and amazing where I am right now. And I want to run because I love my body, because I want to see what I can do, because I want to grow, because I want to improve my strength, my resilience, right? The, my confidence, all these things that we talked about before as alternate reasons to run. How can I run from that place of love to try to just grow as a human. Yeah. That's a, it might be a big step for some people. It's a little woo woo. It might be a little woo. -woo and for I some, love the I, woo. Yeah, you definitely do. <laughs> but if that thought is a little bit too big of a jump for you, perhaps simply the thought of this is where I am period. Yeah. Without a good, a bad or anything to it. This is, this is simply where I am. Yeah. And now I'm going to my next place. Mm. Not this is where I am and I'm stuck here. Not this is where I am and woohoo, celebrate it. Not this is where I am right. and it's terrible. This is simply where I am because mm -hmm. we can all accept that as a fact. Yeah. This is where I am and now I'm going further. Yeah. And I think, I think that's less of a, a big jump that, that more people might be able to top onto. If you that. can make it all the way to Angie's step, that's phenomenal. Well, but sometimes and, you, that's a big, that's a big leap. And maybe they can, it's, I've been practicing it for a very long time. And sometimes those other ones still creep in. Yep. Right. And I use that one a lot too. Like what you just offered, you know, like this is where I am. Like, and I do this in my business 
you know, like a lot, like I, I'm like, well, we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now. Like we should have more downloads or we should have clearly we shouldn't because we don't <laughs> right. Like, and, but those thoughts still like to creep in, you know, those thoughts still like to present themselves. And maybe so, we should just throw out some like really strong political thoughts right here and see if we can still get not our, doing that. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> Still not doing that. She keeps asking how we can get her download numbers up, but I say yes. No, tell tell people to like to and rely. share with other people. That's it. Or strong political thoughts and which diet is the best thing for you. I'm just going to ask our wonderful <laughs> listeners that are currently listening to this episode, if you would please like and share this and leave us a review. Okay. But we're not getting, let me, let me wrap up the episode first, but yes, I'm going to rely on our amazing listeners already to share this podcast um, to help us grow. Because I think that word of mouth and referrals are the best way. Like if, if you guys enjoy this podcast and you find it valuable enough to recommend to your friends, then I know we're doing something right. Excellent. So anyway, wrapping it up, running does not have to be punishment. Running is not punishment. Running is a way for you to grow. Running is a way for you to challenge yourself. Running is a way, um, for, so many things in your life and it does not have to be punishment. So we really want you to get honest with yourself and just let, you know, think about it. Are you using running as punishment in any way or as permission? Like what Kevin was talking about before. And if you are, are you willing to think about it a little bit differently? Are you willing to think about running separately from your food or from your self-worth or from all of that. And can you think of it as a path to growth and self-improvement instead? Can running just be running and can running just be running in and of itself? It can be awesome. Yeah, for sure. So if you guys found this helpful, please like and share. I can't really like a podcast. I guess it's not really a liking thing. That's a, you that's can't a thing like a we podcast. say. That's why you listen to it. That's what, <laughs> but that's the thing I say on Instagram. If like, you're still if listening you like at this, this point, you do like this podcast, yeah. but share it, you know, share it on Instagram, put it on your stories, take a screenshot, put it up on your stories and tag us. Like I've had people reach out to me that have found the podcast and have found us through us being tagged in other people's stories. So it matters. Like you guys might think it doesn't, it does. Like I've had people tell me, um, recently that they've heard me on other podcasts. And if you guys haven't heard me on some of the, the guest podcasts, you guys should definitely go check those out. Um, follow us on Instagram at real life runners, leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify that helps us to share this, um, show and the message with everybody that needs to hear it. So thank you to all of you guys that have already done that. If you have already left us a review, you can leave us another one. If you want, you can actually leave us an, a review on every single episode. If there was something about this particular episode that spoke to you, leave us a review. We would love to see that. Um, and then of course share and do all the things. Yes. So at real life runners on Instagram, come talk to me, send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. And also I'm still going to, um, throw out the, the sticker offer again. I know some of you guys have been DMing me and emailing me. If you want a free real life runners sticker to add to your water bottle, your notebook or whatever, wherever you like to put it, um, send me your address to Angie at real or send me a DM on Instagram with your mailing address. And I would love to send you a free sticker as a thank you for listening to the podcast. So as always, guys, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 260. Now get out there and run your life.